Father is so good, isn't he? Isn't Jesus amazing? Like, how much better of a friend could you have than just Jesus, the lover of our soul? We were singing to him during one of those songs, and I just felt just almost giddy laughter. You know what I'm saying? You ever feel that sometimes? Like giddy laughter because he's so sweet, he's so good, he's so awesome. Thank you, Lord. So this morning we're going to have, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, we're going to pray for people. We're going to pray for each other this morning and just let God stir some stuff up in us. Is that cool? You guys good with that? So I hope you've had a good week. Um, we got we get to welcome home a bunch of missionaries this week. Like, for example, Angel Stewart is on her way back right now from Tanzania. So, Lord, be with Angel. Just guide her and bless her. Give her safe travel. I pray that even her conversations on the airplane would just be divine opportunities and encounters with different people, Lord. So, um, they're on their way back, and I believe the Bakers and Forsyths are also on their way back. Is that right? So bless them, Lord. Give them the same divine opportunities, encounters, and traveling mercies, Lord. Thank you for the exciting reports from uh, Canada and from Africa with Angel. And then Byron and Becky and the Geens and I think the Hills, they'll be back on Wednesday from Argentina. So uh, we got them coming in from different continents. So next Sunday will be fun because all these people will be their first Sunday back after a while. So uh, that'll be exciting. And then, uh, of course, we got Chris and Brooke at YWAM in, in the Kona base. As Dean said, getting ready to go out. We've got Nikki Stepanik in Venezuela, I guess, by now. So as you look around you at this relatively, you know, small group of people in this church, it's, it's such a privilege to be all over the world, isn't it? And as you know, it, we're constantly going and sending and coming and giving so other people can go and I'm just amazed by that. I love it. Hey, also, I got I to gotta do this for Corey Mead, who leads our high school ministry, because I left something out. But uh, any high schoolers in here, uh, or rising high school students, this Wednesday, y'all are going to have dinner and a movie night from 6 to 9 in the back building. So parents, if you've got teenage kids, encourage them to come. Um, he also wants to kind of recap from Camp Morley and then talk about a vision for the, summer, the rest of the summer ahead as they move into the fall. So that's this coming Wednesday night from 6 to 9. Um, so any high school students? Um, man, it's been an interesting week for me. Has anybody been sit, walking, and standing? <laughs> All at the same time or in one of those seasons? It's definitely been a time to stand for me. And uh, I've just been so encouraged, though, by the goodness of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, went to this, I was invited by a friend to go to a men's meeting yesterday at another church in Huntersville, and uh, it was a really cool time, but uh, I was talking to this guy next to me at the table I didn't know, and um, as I got to, as he started telling me a little bit about his story, he was talking about this extremely um, uh, a hardcore religious oppressive church background that he had. I won't mention the denomination, and, you know, that was just like, if it feels good, looks good, tastes good, whatever, it's not God. You know, it can't be God, you know, that kind of thing, you know what I'm talking about. And anyway, he was just telling just a really brief testimony, really just to me personally, about how he discovered the grace of God, how he discovered the wide open spaces. And, you know, my heart was just leaping in me. 
And it kind of reminded me of a question that I just want to pose to you here as we get going this morning. And the question is, when you look at the Father, what expression is on His face? I was hoping you'd say that, Brianna. When you look at the Father, what expression is on His face? Unfortunately, I believe if you were to poll most Christians in America, it probably wouldn't be a smile from the conversations, would you agree, Jerry, that I have with people, it's more of, well, if they were to be honest, disappointment, Um, a look of you let them down, Um, to to the extreme, angry, Uh, you know, but I believe I got good news. The gospel means good news, right? The good news is that Papa God, he's in a good mood. He's got a smile on his face. Yes, even when he looks at you. And some of you are sitting there kind of skeptical about what I'm saying, like, oh, I don't know. I had a rough Saturday night, Matthew, or Sunday morning, for that matter. Or you don't know what I've done, or whatever. Well, I got news for you. The blood of Christ is bigger than anything you've done. The blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago is big enough to cover all your sins and mine, past, present, and hey, how about this, even the future. I know, I know, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it, Ken? It sounds a little bit on the surface too good to be true, but I challenge you, read the Bible. It's the love story Remember, the Bible, this is kind of a controversial statement, but the Bible is not actually meant to be a manual. It's meant to be a love letter. A love note is very different than a manual. How many people know what I'm saying? Now, there are principles and things in this love letter, this document, this email, or this text, or whatever, that he sent to us, but it is far different. It's far more like a love letter than a manual. And when God the Father looks at you and I, He's got a great big old smile on His face. If it were on my Instagram, it would put one of those big old cheesy emoticon smiles on there. Probably with a tongue sticking out or something. That's how. Now, how do I know that? Well, because when He looks at you and He looks at me, He can't help but see a reflection of His Son. And he, when He looks at His Son... Boy, like a proud papa, his heart is just overjoyed. Isn't that true? Because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Therefore, and if you're here this morning and you've never come to know Christ in a personal way, just take this as an opportunity, as an invitation. You can do it right now. Just put that he is the Redeemer. Put your faith in him this morning, and all your sins can be cleansed. In fact, you know, we've been, I've been going through Ephesians. So I thought another good way to start this morning is, let's look at Ephesians 2. And, uh, you know, I can tell you to turn there or click on it. But uh, why don't we just put it up on the screen. And I'm just going to invite you guys to stand with me. And let's read Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. Actually, let's do better than read it. Let's proclaim it, okay? And this is one of those, but God. Everybody say, but God. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. But God, 
who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. You can be seated. Isn't that good? You know, I heard the Lord say to me yesterday, He goes, you know, Matthew, the truth is, the yoke of religion is a weight that we're not meant to carry. The yoke of religion, if you've had that put on you in growing up or in the past, it's a weight that actually leads to spiritual death. Because it's so heavy, the burden is so great that no human was meant to carry this. This was the whole point of Jesus' message to the Pharisees. He says, you think that because you know the Scriptures, front to back, you got them, they had whole portions of them memorized, that you know the Father. But He says, I'm telling you, I am the way. It comes through me. It comes through a love relationship. It's not about a religion. I don't know why I'm saying all this. I, somebody needs to hear it this morning or be reminded. But it's about that intimacy with Him that came through Jesus. Isn't that true? This has been a scheme of the enemy to get us under a yoke of religion from the beginning. It's a cycle that keeps coming around. It's an epidemic, I think, in the American church right now as we're in a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstrap season in America, where the do-it-yourself mentality is so prevalent. This has been one of the big points of the sit-walk-stand message, right? You know, in a season where it's increasingly difficult, for example, to make a living, the temptation is to do what? Just work harder. Do more. You know, more, 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 find more jobs, add a third, I've done it. You know, like, if necessary, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But it's to figure it out, right? It's to figure it out. And we kind of take pride, our, our ancestors did, in the what was called the Protestant work ethic. You know, in this idea of hard work, and I believe that's a good thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. However, it can get into that trap of self-effort. It can lend towards that religion, that religious spirit that says, you, Rhonda, you need to kind of work your way, be a good girl to God, the Father will be happy, and then however that plays out, you know, in other aspects of your life, that's how you do it. And unfortunately, there's many pulpits across America that stand every Sunday morning and give you all the rules, give you all the lists to follow, and if you'll do A, B, and C, then D will be your result. Unfortunately, that's not the relationship God intended with us. What He intended with us is that we just hang out and love on Him and He on us. 
and He speaks those kind words of goodness into our hearts that not only transforms us from glory and glory more into His image, but also gives us a practical walking it out in our everyday lives. Now, I know many of you need to be encouraged right now because as much as you amen and you believe what I'm saying, the practical aspects in your life are not quite there yet. Let me encourage you, God is on your side. You're highly favored by the Lord. It's like Gideon hiding in that old wine press, stamping out the wheat, hiding from the enemy, right? And the the Lord shows up and says, You, O mighty man of valor! And he's like, You must have... Who are are you talking to? I'm a scared chicken down here, like stomping around, like this peck, peck, peck. But wait, God saw something different in Gideon. He said, no, you may seem like that. You may feel like that right now in this moment. But you are a mighty man of valor. Arise in this anointing that I've given you, for you're going to actually deliver the Israelites from the hand of the enemy. And that's where I see a lot of us at right now. You know, man, hey, I'm, I'm not, this is not a judgment. I'm there with you at times. It all depends on which day you catch me. <laughs> There's days you just feel like, man, I've been pecking around in the dirt all the time. But what is Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, 31? Somebody texted that to you this morning. <laughs> Wait on the Lord and He'll renew your strength, right? Wait on the Lord. You'll soar like eagles. You'll walk and not grow weary. Run and not faint. Isn't that what it says? So we're not, we're not pecking around. We may feel like chickens. God sees us as an eagle. Why? Because again, when He looks at us, He can't help but see His boy, Jesus. Yeah. The Amplified. This is good. Isaiah forty thirty one. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles. Mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Thank you, Jen. That was Jen. That amplified version of that. Wasn't that good? If you're not a do-it-yourselfer, you may tend towards the Eeyore posture. Oh, woe is me. You know, the Eeyore posture. Again, it's not a judgment. I've been there. Got the (laughs) T-shirt. T-shirt with Eeyore on it. (laughs) The great hero of the faith. But for either of these, today the remedy is the same. Here's what it is. It was prophesied, uh, I don't know, a thousand years ago by the prophet Habakkuk first of all, and then quoted three or maybe four different times by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And it's a very simple, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, five word phrase, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Why don't you say it with me? The just shall live by faith through grace. That's the answer, whether you're a pull myself up by the, I'll get it done, self-effort guy, or whether you're an Eeyore person. 
The just shall live by faith, I believe, is God's answer in the hour in which we really need courage of Gideon, the strength of Joshua to see into the promised land and say, no, God has well equipped me because I'm a, I'm a part of perhaps one of the greatest generations. I live on the earth in a time where if it's not the last revival, the last awakening before the return of Christ, at least it'll be my kids, definitely my grandkids, Even if I'm dead and gone by that point, whatever heritage I possess, I can give to them that then my ceiling becomes their floor and they can take this thing home, baby. I just want to stir you up because I get to talk this morning about seeds of revival. I love to talk about revival. I've realized some people don't so much. They have different feelings about that. It usually comes from disappointment. Okay? It usually comes from things that they've heard but not experienced. But listen, let me just say from the beginning, we don't base the truth on what our limited experiences are. We definitely, I've learned this the hard way, don't base truth on our experiences. We base truth upon the Word of God. We base truth upon the character and the nature of who He is. And the character and nature of who He is tells me in the Bible that He is a God that loves to come through these human, fleshly, you know, weak vessels called the shell, our earth suits, if you will. He loves to come and blow. Just blow through us. What's that mean? Refreshing. He loves to bring times of refreshing. So I'll be honest with you. I, and, and everybody who's been leading us so far has done a great job at this already, but I want to just uh, go after a, a time of personal revival in your heart this morning. Is that okay? Personal revival. Because here's what I believe the Lord showed me. He said, Matthew, this, I have already planted the seeds of revival in River Life. They're there. They've already been planted. They've been growing but I believe he wants to shine his sun on it this morning, water that thing a little bit more, and take us to another level. Are you guys good with that? So you know what? Revival happens when the burden of religion or self-effort is lifted off, and you get free. You get free. When this happens, sometimes you just can't help but flop on the floor like a fish. (laughs) You just can't help yourself because in uh, Chronicles, the, the, even the Levites, the priests, couldn't stand under the weight of the glory of God as he blew through the temple. I mean, over and over again, sometimes these frail human earth shells just want to wilt under the glory of God. And I believe he wants to, but it's a beautiful thing, you know. I'm preaching to the choir. So I'm going to go back here. Okay, let me watch my time. I'm going to go back here and look at the seed of revival. I call this the seed of revival, the just shall live by faith. How many people uh, did a summer garden this year? Can you raise your hand? Mary proudly raising her hand. How's it going, Mary? It's awesome. It's big. Lots of fruit and veggies, right? Or veggies. Tomatoes are fruit. But anyway, okay. You get the point. Just as uh, you put those seeds in the ground, 
And it's the good thing about all the rain, I guess. It's been growing like crazy. Just as you planted the summer garden, there's seeds of revival and awakening that have been planted and are being planted today. And not only, as I said, have they been planted at River Life in this church, but also as I look at your faces, they've been planted in you. God has been planting seeds and watering them fervently. Even if you can't see it, feel it, touch it, taste it, don't know it, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, it's still true. That's <laughs> still true. Um, yeah, I was going to go down a rabbit trail, but I stopped myself. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Let me first of all give you a couple of definitions, and I know you guys, most of you know this, but this might be helpful. When we talk about revival, first of all, we don't have the evangelist on his way into town and haven't put a sign out front holding nightly meetings. Not against that could be bring revival, but we're talking about, as I've just defined, when God awakens the church, that's you and I, by revealing His unchanging nature, resurrecting those truths that have been lost or become dormant. Yeah, let me read that again. Revival is when God awakens the church by revealing His unchanging nature, resurrecting those truths that have been lost or become dormant. See, there's um, things in you guys and myself that are still very there and real. They're a little bit dormant right now. That's what I see in the Spirit. They're just a little bit... That's okay. It's, it's really not a big deal for God. You know, because He loves to water those things and see the next season of harvest come. See, we've already been through a season of harvest for a lot of us, through some of those seeds, and now it's time for the next seed of, of harvest. What do you call those plants that regrow every year? Perennials, right? So that's what they are. God's put perennial seeds, not just annuals, right, in us. That's a good way to think about it. So that's revival. And now awakening, however, and that's what I'll touch on here in just a second, is a cultural transformation in which God reveals Himself to a greater community, nation, or people group, usually preceded by a revival. Usually comes the revival, that's for us, God's people, which then leads to a cultural shift, to a cultural transformation. It's the thing that we all know that we need so badly in America. I don't care if we elected Billy Graham president tomorrow and he could take office. Well, he's a little old. Okay, Franklin Graham president and he could take office tomorrow. I don't think that would solve the problem for America. It certainly couldn't hurt anything. But <laughs> I don't think that's really the answer for America. The answer for America is that we turn our hearts, we turn our affections back to our true love. It's just as simple as that. This is no hard, there's nothing hard about this. We just turn our hearts back to the one who called us in the first place, to the one who loved us in the first place, to the one that laid it all down just for you and I. And we begin to love on him. And I've been praying this prayer on and off for a long time, and that is, God, send revival to America and let it begin with me. Send revival to America and let it begin with me. Will you pray that prayer with me? Because, see, we can't do anything technically about that out there. What we can do something about 
is this in here, right? God send revival and let it start with us. There was a man in the 1730s in New England, Northampton, Massachusetts to be exact. His name was Jonathan Edwards, of course. And um, God sent a revival to his church. Uh, This is his picture here. I didn't get it up on the screen, but uh, isn't he handsome? He's got on one of those powdered wigs and nice little collars there. And uh, from all accounts that I've read, Jonathan Edwards was an extremely boring preacher. He probably took heart from the Apostle Paul because Paul actually was so boring, he killed a guy during his service. You remember Eutychus? He did, seriously. It's in the Bible in Acts. I can't remember which chapter. He's preaching through midnight. The guy falls asleep probably in the window and falls out the window three stories. Dies. Paul goes down like, well, it's a great opportunity for a miracle. Gets on top of him, raises him from the dead. You know? Well, Jonathan Edwards was known to was infamous for being extremely monotone in his preaching. This is the message that I'm bringing, you know. And they, they sit up way high on these perches in the Puritan Congregationalist Church. And, of course, all the members are trying to stay awake on their hard wooden pews. That's why they made those things wooden, I think, in the first place, keep you awake. And I don't know if they had this in Jonathan in Edwards Church, but they used to have, the, like, I can't remember what they called, you, called them. I'm sure Don could tell you later. But these guys who walked around with a stick. And on one end, they would have a feather, to tickle the noses of the little old ladies who were starting to doze off. On the other end of the stick was a knob to whack the heads of the young men like Jiddu, who's not asleep here on the front row. But if he were, this is kind of the church culture. You're talking about extremely formal and conservative. When I say conservative, I mean... Pick out the most staunch conservative church you can think of in the area and times it by like 20. Extremely conservative. Very distinguished people. Don't dare utter a word or bat an eyelid for that matter in church. Blasphemy the most holy God. But something happened one day. He attributed what happened to two things. Number one, he preached a series of sermons on the topic of the just shall live by faith, on justification by faith. And secondly, a, it's funny the language that's listed in here. Let me just read it. The unusual conversion of an immoral young lady. <laughs> the unusual conversion of an immoral young lady. I'm not going to take the time to read this whole... Let me read to you. So I have here um, Jonathan Edwards on revival. It's actually three works that he wrote, um, one of which was the commencement address at Yale University in 1741. Can you imagine that? And that address, by the way, was the account or the distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God where he basically defended the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in a church. As far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, but as far as I know, this has been conveniently left out of all the great theology books in American seminaries today. Jonathan Edwards is big in 
I think, every evangelical seminary, and hit many of his theologies, because he wrote on pretty much all of them, but many, all of them are included to train pastors, except for what about when there's somebody flopping like a fish on the front at your church? How do you know whether that's God or not? He gave a message at Yale at graduation on how to know. From 1 John 4, 1 through 6, is how you know. Anyway, that's not the purpose of my message today, but that's uh, where I'm reading from. He said, particularly, this is the uh, certain, what was it, the unusual conversion of a certain immoral young lady. Particularly, I was surprised with the relation of a young woman who had been one of the greatest company keepers in the whole town. I think that's old English for slept around. <laughs> when she came to me, I had never heard that she was, she was become in any wise serious, but by the conversation I had then had with her, it appeared to me that what she gave an account of was a glorious work of God's infinite power and sovereign grace and that God had given her a new heart, truly broken and sanctified, I could not then doubt of it and have seen much in my acquaintance with her since to confirm it. Though the work was glorious, I was concerned basically that other people wouldn't believe her and that the testimony actually would be counterproductive in the work of the Lord. But the event was the reverse. To a wonderful degree, God, God made it, I suppose, the greatest occasion of awakening to others of anything that ever came to pass in the town. I've had an abundant opportunity to know the effect it had, but by my private conversations with many, the news of it seemed to be almost like a flash of lightning. That's what he wrote in his words. A flash of lightning upon the hearts of young people all over the town and upon many others. So anyway, I don't have time to go into all the things, but just, just a few, you know, there's accounts of, you know, we're familiar with the weight of the Holy Spirit, like we lose physical strength. You know, that might happen this morning. But, um, you know, we're familiar with people being, uh, going, you know, whatever you want to call it, slain in the Spirit. <laughs> I've always thought that was a weird word. Holy Ghost doesn't actually kill anybody, but uh, I guess he's slaying the flesh. But anyway, but what if someone got pace of the floor under the Spirit of God and stayed there seemingly comatose for one week. That would be controversial at River Life. Much less in 1734 New England Puritanism. Or crawling around on all fours, barking like animals. Very, very bizarre occurrences. An awakening began. Jonathan Edwards had courage. Ultimately, he lost his ministry. I can't go through the whole story in the controversy of it all. But what he said was, is that there was a first-rate wave of revival from 1734 to 36. So 34, 30, somewhere between two and three years was the first wave of revival in Northampton. And then... There was a, followed by what's now known in our history books as the Great Awakening from 1740 to 42. 
Now, many books throw that, expand that way beyond, you know, to maybe even a 30 or 40 year time span. But according to him, this, I guess, was the epicenter of the revival, then followed by an awakening from 1740 to 42. Um, and here's what I, he calls the characteristics. These are, let me give you the fruits of this revival. Some of them will f- sound real familiar. Um, and then I want to get to the seeds. Okay, I've got to hurry. Just go through these real quickly. Number one, hunger. The only thing in their view, these are Edward's words, was to get the kingdom of heaven. And everyone appeared pressing into it, the kingdom. The engagedness of their hearts in this great concern could not be hid. It appeared in their very countenances, the kingdom. Number two, transformation in worship. I have no idea what their worship team was like back then, but I bet it wasn't very musical. I'm pretty sure it was all a cappella. He said, Our public praises were then greatly enlivened. People were evidently wont to sing with unusual elevation of heart and voice, which made the duty pleasant indeed. You could put revivalists in a cardboard box with no iPod or instrument, and the praise would explode out of that place. It really doesn't matter. I remember years ago we went to a classical school conference in Franklin, Tennessee. You remember that? We were in this very Presbyterian setting with acapella worship, you know, and all that. And they're singing, you know, some 300-year-old hymn and... I'm kind of back there, you know, my whatever I am. Like, okay, God, what am I doing here? And he very just quickly rebuked me. He's like, Matthew, if you can't worship me to this, you can't worship me to anything. I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Then sings my soul. (laughs) (laughs) Worship, the transformation in worship. Number three, a focus on Christ. The focus is always on the Son, Jesus, on Christ. Number four, the backslidden were restored. Number five, geographic expansion. Edward cites that more than 30 other communities where the revival erupted. Number six, the revival impacted all ages and all sorts of people. Number seven, many were saved. Edward writes, and this is, I believe, I could be wrong. I think Northampton at the time was a couple of thousand people. I hope that more than, or he's saying, I'm certain that more than 300 souls were savingly brought home in Christ in this town, Northampton, in the space of half a year, and about the same number of males as females. Number eight, this is, this is interesting, acceleration. How many people have experienced that in a season of renewal? Acceleration slash intensification of God's activity. God has also seemed to have gone out of His usual way in the quickness of His work and the swift progress His Spirit has made in His operations on the hearts of many. It is wonderful that persons should be so suddenly and yet so greatly changed. Again, when God in so remarkable a manner, took the work into his own hands. There was as much done in a day or two as at ordinary times with all endeavors that men can use and with such a blessing as we commonly have is done in a year. You think God can't move in your life? 
I don't care how bad it is right now or how good it is. If it's good, it can explode exponentially into more in milliseconds. That's why we love the presence of the Lord, by the way, at River Life. Because we've seen in the presence of God, in His glory, in other words, in the glory of the Lord, people are saved and healed and delivered, bam, in seconds. What would take a counselor years or whatever. God is a supernatural God. And it's in spirit and truth that he's to be worshipped. So these are the things, these are the fruits. Now how, what about the seeds? And I'm taking way too long to do this. Alright. The three seeds of awakening. First of all, well I mentioned the ones that Edwards mentioned. That was the uh, sermons on justification by faith and then the conversion of the immoral young lady. At River Life, Here's what I feel, and this rings true, I believe, for a majority of us here. If you're new or whatever, just bear with me. Um, I'm not, I'll try to catch you up to speed. But number one is, from 2006 to, I'm just going to generalize because it's not stopped or anything. But from 2006 for the next, let's say, five years, there's a season of glory. A season of glory and, and, and renewal and revival in our midst, right? And uh, never forget that fall women's retreat in 2006. I wasn't there, but I still never forget it because <laughs> I saw the results of it as we all did. And the river of the Holy Spirit began to pour out into our body, into our church. You say, well, what, what say is that, Matthew, the river of the Holy Spirit? Well, John spoke of it in his vision in Revelation Basically, he saw a spiritual river that flows from the throne of God. And then we realized that this spiritual river was released into the earth when Christ's side was pierced on the cross with the Roman soldier's spear, and there was a flow that came out of his side. At that moment, it released a current, if you will. It released a current of God's Spirit. We spent many months, even years, taking great occasion to just lie down here on the floor and float or back swim, if you will. Not literally. I'm just, I'm, being, I'm embellishing a little bit, but not very much. Um, um, in, in this presence of the Holy Spirit, and if you're new or whatever, this makes no sense to you, all I can say is that just by resting and worshiping and loving Him, in the Holy Spirit's presence, we saw, like Edward states, we saw more fruit, more things happen in very short periods of time than Pastor Byron could counsel or preach in to people over a years. And that thing continues to this day. It's not like that spiritual river has gone anywhere, but we've seen the various um, um, streams of that river. And those various streams are teaching us new things and leading us to different places. We've seen streams, for example, there's a river of fire that Daniel speaks of in Daniel 10, 7. Daniel 7, there's a river of fire that flows from the throne. I pray that gets released today. There's a river of healing that comes. This is spoken of in Psalm 1 and also in Revelation. Anyway, there's these various rivers. So we experience just at least for us, it was just an incredible, eye-opening, heart-opening, life-altering season of glory, of His presence. That was a seed. 
That was a seed that God planted in our hearts into the lives of us as a people. Seed number two is what I'm going to refer to as our dark night of the soul. In 2009, our really beloved Barry Morley passed away from a very short battle with cancer in just a few short months. And then, of course, our good friend Matt Stewart was murdered. And that summer followed some other not good events. And then even up to last summer, I was counting up this morning, I did um, five funerals at this time last year. There was this dark night of our soul that nobody wants to go through. Do you think Joseph enjoyed rotting in the prison cell? There was this time, there's a time in every Christian's life where you just don't understand. Everything you held near and dear and Sunday school teacher taught you about the goodness of God, it comes into doubt in your heart. There's moments where you want to run, you want to hide, you want to shake your fists. But at the end of, all, of it all, we know that we serve a good God. He's a good dad and he's the God of all hope. And he's brought us to the other side, fortunately. You know, he's brought us to the other side and today we stand. We stand as a stronger people and we're moving on. We're moving on into the promises of God. We're moving on what I believe is to pass revival to awakening. Past revival to awakening. We're going to see cultural shifts start to happen. Do you believe that? Seed number three is what I'm going to call the seed of grace. This seed was planted probably 12 to 13 years ago when Byron preached on nothing but grace for six months. How many people remember that? Many people have been around that long? Nothing but grace for six months. It was a revolutionary time that seed was planted, and we continually preach on grace, like sit, walk, stand. It's basically a grace message. Preaching on grace. What is that? Well, that's justification by faith. And isn't it interesting that every great awakening in human history, not just in America, has started with the same message? In fact, let me read you this scripture. It's Romans 4, 1 through 5. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh or by works? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Okay, that's a really good verse, but not the one that I planned on reading. <laughs> Did he put a different one up there? Oh, okay, thank you. Man, you're on top of it back there, Denise. I didn't mean he. <laughs> yeah, let me skip, go in Romans 1.16, rather. Romans 1.16, if you've got that one. Paul says this one, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's what? The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In 1517, a monk named Martin Luther read that verse that we just read on the screen. He didn't have a screen. 
But he read the verse in his Latin transcript, and his eyes opened. Oh my God! And here's what he wrote. Well, let me. This is a quote from a history record. Luther came to understand justification as being entirely the work of God, against the teaching of his day that the righteous acts of believers are done in cooperation with God. Luther asserted that Christians receive that righteousness entirely from outside themselves. That righteousness not only comes from Christ, it actually is the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us rather than infused to us. Imputed to us rather than infused into us. In other words, it's something that's your nature. It's given to you as a born-again believer rather than something you have to gradually get and earn. Does that make sense? Through faith. That is why, and this is his actual words, that is why faith alone makes someone just and fulfills the law, said Luther. Faith is that which brings the Holy Spirit through the merits of Christ. Thus, faith for Luther is a gift from God and a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times, trusting in it. This faith grasps Christ's righteousness and appropriates for itself in the believer's heart. Now, let me just conclude and say, often, I got a lot here. I did a... I brought way too much to the battle today, man. That's all right. (laughs) Better be prepared than lacking. But here's just kind of a final thought. Often revival requires a catalyst, like Luther, like Edwards, like John G. Lake or Catherine Coleman. You know, revival usually God, well, not usually, always. God uses people, doesn't he? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think those people that I just mentioned, for example, are holier than you? That's the right answer. Absolutely they're not. The devil wants to convince us that they are. Because then we have a reason to think that, well, I'm not Martin Luther. I'm not Benny. I'm not whatever. I'm not such and such. But in my heart, I can't get away from a fact, and that is, A, God, I know you want to move in my generation. B, if you use all those men and women like you did in the past, I know you want to do it today. C, where do I sign up? (laughs) Is there an online blog where I can, like, sign up, whatever happens next, the lightning bolt, you know, whatever? Just kidding. And I just think that God is saying, oh, Matthew, you guys have all signed up, actually. You just need to start believing it. (laughs) And you've all signed up because um, Jehovah Sneaky signed us all up. (laughs) Because if you've been here, and even if you just came in the door, you're still part. If If you're here, then you're signed up because the seeds of revival have been planted in your lineage. They're inside of you. Why? Because you're in Christ, not because of the glory of ourselves, but because of the glory of Him. Because He's in you and you're in Him, we're in complete unity, just as Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
I can only do what I see the Father doing. So we have that same dependence on Holy Spirit. We can only do that in which He leads. But I just want to encourage your heart this morning, and I hope you're finding courage and encouragement, that awakening is on the way for America. It's our only hope, but it's on the way for America. God will not fail us. God will not leave us. I don't believe His plans for our nation are done with. And for that matter, His plans for the world are obviously not over. Yes, how, no matter how bleak times look, God's faithful. He's going to raise up men and women such as you guys here right now this morning. He's going to breathe. He's going to through your spirit and let the Holy Spirit rise up those seeds which have been planted and bear much fruit in your generation. Today, let's be that people. Habakkuk, this was the original text from the just shall live by faith. This is my last scripture. Then the Lord answered me and said, and some of you have heard this. I had never seen it in light of how I'm about to, to say this. He said, the Lord said to Habakkuk, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. How many people have ever heard that scripture? So it's usually, you know, okay, good, I got a vision. It's important to write it down. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end of it will speak and will not lie. Though it tarries. What, it, what does tarry mean? It hasn't come yet. It's waiting. Though it tarries, wait for it. Wait for the Lord and He'll renew your strength. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the ground. His soul is not upright in Him. But the just shall live by His faith. But the just shall live by His faith. It's Christ's faith that's given to you and I. The just shall live by His faith. So God, what are the seeds of revival? Could the seeds be when we write down, preach, proclaim, even as I'm doing right now, we proclaim that God is just, that God is faithful, that God is good, that God never fails, that God will send awakening to America. When we write this on our blogs, when we post it on Facebook or Twitter, when we write it and even preach it in our church on Sunday morning, I believe this is the application today for what he said to Habakkuk. When you do this, it will not tear. It will not long tarry. Why? Because the currency of heaven is faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. So when we put our faith in an unfailing God, it's going to come to pass. And Paul said it like this. Well, whoever wrote Hebrews, Paul or whoever, for yet a little while, and note the similarity between Habakkuk, even before the quote. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not what? Will not tarry. Isn't that interesting? The same language as Habakkuk's vision. He will not tarry, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Lord, we're not going to draw back. We're not going to draw back, Lord, because I think I can speak for my friends here this morning, Papa, that I've seen too much to go back now. 
I mean, I passed the point of return a long time ago. Lord, we've seen the terminally ill healed. We've seen just what seemed like the hopeless come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Lord, we've seen people bound by years of oppression set free in the river of the Holy Ghost. God, we are just asking and contending today for more. We just say thanks for signing us up, Abba. We appreciate you signing our names on that website in heaven. <laughs> that yes, we want to be part of the generation of awakening. Perhaps the final generation. We want to be that people, Lord, whose hearts are enraptured by a love that can't let go. Lord, a love that's so extreme that it'll travel even to the ends of the earth and back and back again. A love that goes through difficulty but refuses to give up. That refuses to lose hope. God, we want to be that people. We thank you that by your Son we have been made that people. And this morning, Papa, I ask you to blow through our hearts. I pray that your presence, Holy Spirit, would remind us and renew us of things past and take us into a new season of now and in the future, Lord. I pray for those who are disappointed this morning, or who have lost heart, who are like Gideon, just discouraged. I pray, God, that You would speak their identity over them right now. Arise, you man or woman of courage, strong and mighty. The Lord's declaring and prophesying over you. Just arise. Arise. I want to invite everybody to just come up here. Come up here and um, let's just have some good time here in just the moments. If you've got to leave, you can feel free to do that. I know it's 12, but I just want you to come forward and just pray for you. And let me just tell you what we're praying. And if our ministry team can come up and help me pray, um, just pray in twos, ministry team. Need some catchers, too. Um, but here's what I want to pray. Here's what we're praying. Here's our focus, okay? Our focus is this. We're breathing on maybe some dormant seed. We're, we're releasing and decreeing the Creator of the universe's goodness into your soul to reawaken things that seem completely dead but are actually dormant. To awaken those in your hearts. So you guys, come on. Whoever wants that, just come on up here and get it. Who's hungry this morning for just more of the Lord? And let's just take here a few moments, or whatever the Lord wants to do. Take a few moments and let's just pray for each other. Come to um, these pairs here. And let's just pray. And, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to touch us. Let the kingdom of heaven be released right now into this place. Thank You for Your goodness. More. Just blow, Holy Spirit.